This afternoon we'll be looking at Lord's Day 47, which deals with the first petition, Hallowed Be Your Name. And as we prepare to consider that lesson, let's read together Psalm 145. I invite you to take your Bibles and to turn there with me. We'll read Psalm 145. Psalm 145, a praise of David. I will extol you, O God, my King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all. And his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations." The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. Let's also turn to the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 5, we'll read a few verses from that. Matthew chapter 5. 5, we'll read verse 13 to 16. This is part of the Sermon of the Mount, the teaching of our Lord Jesus. And he says, Matthew 5, verse 13, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So far, the reading of God's holy word. Our catechism lesson this afternoon comes from Lord's Day 47. Let's read that together. This is part of the 
teaching of the Catechism about prayer, Nulose 47, we read this, what is the first petition? Hallowed be your name. That is, grant us first of all that we may rightly know you and sanctify, glorify, and praise you in all your works in which shine forth your almighty power, wisdom, goodness, righteousness, mercy, and truth. Grant us also that we may so direct our whole life, our thoughts, words, and actions, that your name is not blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. Oh, dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, a couple of summers ago, I was able to spend some time in the mountains in British Columbia. At the time, I really enjoyed seeing the beauty of those mountains, the snow-capped peaks against a a bright blue sky. They're impressive and, and majestic, even stunning. But during the time I was there, I also noticed that there were days when, when you couldn't see the mountains, when the clouds hung low, when there was perhaps fog. On these days, the clouds, they obscured the view to the mountains. You couldn't see them anymore. And of course, during those times, the mountains were still there, They were still impressive, they were still majestic and glorious, but you just couldn't see them because the clouds obscured the view. And I wonder if you've experienced that as well, perhaps as you've been driving down toward Blue Mountain, or perhaps into the Beaver Valley, you have beautiful views of the mountain or of the valley, but sometimes there's a fog, a fog which prevents you from seeing those views. We actually have a similar thing going on in our Lord's Day this afternoon. You see, God is holy, completely, absolutely holy. He cannot be made more holy than he already is. In the same way as those mountains are stunningly beautiful, so God is majestic in his holiness. But we don't always see it, do we? It's often it's like there are clouds in the way obscuring our vision of God's glory and his holiness. Sometimes there's a a thick fog that prevents us from beholding God in his holiness. In fact, this fog can be seen in two ways. First, sometimes we cannot see God's holiness because we ourselves are blinded by our sin. We need God to come and open up our eyes and to to take away our spiritual blindness to remove the fog in front of our eyes so that, that we can then see him, see how holy his name is, and respond appropriately in praise. But second, sometimes we ourselves can become the fog. You see, as God's children, we're called to represent him. We're called to bear his name and to bear his holiness, to reflect his holiness. But we don't always do that very well, do we? In fact, the holiness of God is so often clouded by the unholiness of his people. And our unholiness is like fog to the people around us, obscuring their vision of God. And so when we pray this petition, we're asking God to help us. Help us, first of all, take away the fog that's in front of our own eyes so we can see God's holiness, see him clearly for who he is, and then respond in praise and adoration. And help us, secondly, to live our entire lives in a way which reflects God's holiness so that we ourselves do not become the fog which prevents other people from seeing the holiness of God. So in the first petition, Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, take away the fog 
so that your name is hallowed. We're going to see this in two parts of this message this afternoon. Firstly, we'll see the fog which obscures our vision. And secondly, we'll see the fog which obscures other vision, others' vision. And so in the first petition, we pray, hallowed be your name. To hallow is to make holy. Let's explore what that means a little bit. It's sometimes hard for us to understand what exactly it means that God is holy. Because we cannot make God's name any more holy than it already is. God is completely holy. We cannot add anything to him to make him holy. This word holy, it means that God is distinct. He is unique. There is no one like him. It's a word which describes God in all of his attributes. So we could say his love is a holy love. It's different. It's better than any human love that we've ever seen. There's no love like God's love. Even the best love of humans can only be a pale reflection of God's love because his love is a holy love. It's set apart. It's distinct. In the same way, God's justice is a holy justice. It's different and better than any justice you'll find in any human court. His wisdom is a holy wisdom. It's different. It's better than any of the the smartest guys on this planet. So God is holy. That describes him in all of his attributes, in all of his actions. He is a holy God. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, let your name be made holy, what are we praying? We're not praying to make God more holy, but instead we're praying that God's name would be recognized and acknowledged as holy. Would be recognized and acknowledged as what it is, holy. And this is, first of all, a prayer that we ourselves will recognize and acknowledge this. We're asking God to take away the fog, to remove the clouds which prevent us from acknowledging and, and recognizing that He is the holy God. Hallowed be your name, that is, Let your name be recognized and acknowledged by us as what it really is, holy. This is also what David says in Psalm 145, verse 1, I will extol you, my God. This word extol, literally it means to make high. Now God is already lifted high, but now David is going to acknowledge that. He's going to recognize that God is high. He's going to praise God and honor him for his greatness. And in this way, he will lift God's name high and hallow God's name. So how do we acknowledge and and recognize God's holy name? The Catechism says, first of all, that we need to rightly know God. Knowing God is the first step that leads to praising him, to, to recognizing and acknowledging his holy name. To do that... To draw that out, I'd like to spend some time this afternoon looking at Psalm 145. Perhaps you noticed that the entire psalm is listed as a footnote at the bottom of Lord's Day 47. The whole psalm is an example of how knowing God leads to praising Him. Psalm 145 is an example of how God's greatness ought to be recognized and acknowledged, indeed praised, by us who are God's children. So please turn there with me. We're going to spend some time this afternoon, looking through this psalm. First, a few general comments about Psalm 145. It's a beautiful outburst of praise, isn't it? You could say it's a a psalm of comprehensive praise. It covers everything. 
It's something you can already see in the overall structure of, of the psalm. In the original Hebrew language, it's actually written as an acrostic poem. Every line starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it goes from A to Z. Now, this is, a, this is more than a cool poetic feature, but actually it conveys meaning. David wants to praise God from A to Z, completely, comprehensively, with all the letters of the alphabet. And perhaps as we read this psalm, you noticed the word all being mentioned a lot. Verse 9, for example, the Lord is good to all. His tender mercies are over all his works. Verse 10, all your works shall praise you. In fact, this word is repeated 17 times throughout the entire psalm. It's a, a comprehensive scope. And one more thing, a general comment is the amount of words that this psalm has for praising. You can see it already in the, the first verse. I will extol you. I will bless your name. I will praise your name. See, only, in fact, you, maybe you notice even that the title is a praise of David. It's the only psalm with this precise title. And throughout the psalm, there are, is mentioned 18 times of praising God. So it's a psalm of comprehensive praise, complete praise. This tone of exuberance is also how David starts the psalm. I will bless your name forever and ever, every day, he repeats, forever and ever. This is all the time. David resolves he makes a commitment to let the praise of God always be on his lips. You know, this commitment is, is very similar to the first petition. Let your name always be praised by me. I will bless your name forever. And there's a theme which runs throughout the entire psalm, which is introduced also in verse 1. The theme of God as a king. I will extol you, my God, O king. And as the king, as the one who rules over everything... He is the one worthy of all praise. So with this in mind, let's zoom into some details. In verse 4, David says, One generation shall praise your works to another. If you just think about that for a moment, God's works are the sort that people talk about for generations and generations. The very fact that we're singing this psalm today as the church of Jesus Christ shows that this psalm is being fulfilled David sang praises to God for his creation. Think of Psalm 8. How majestic is your name in all the earth. And today, many generations we are, later, we are still praising God for creation. We praise God for the beauty we see on the snowy trails, perhaps as you're out on your snowmobiles, for the impressive ice formations on the escarpment cliffs, and for the ways that he paints the sky with beautiful sunsets. Many generations on from David were still praising God for his creative wisdom and power. This is also true for God's works of deliverance. David sang praises to God for his mighty acts of deliverance from Saul, from the Philistines. And today we are singing about our deliverance that God has worked for us, the mighty deliverance accomplished for us through Jesus Christ. Imagine that David could join us this afternoon as we sing this psalm after the sermon, that he could hear this psalm being sung still today. Many generations after the Spirit inspired him to write these words, one generation shall praise your works to another. We're jumping ahead to verse 8. We read these words, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, 
slow to anger and great in mercy. I wonder if you recognize that from somewhere else in the Old Testament. You see, when God was writing the Ten Commandments down at Mount Sinai to Moses, he came down in a cloud to Moses, and Exodus 34, he proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. This word goodness, it can also be translated as steadfast love. Abounding in steadfast love, God will never abandon his people. In fact, it's because of his faithfulness, because of his faithful, steadfast love that the generations continue to rise up in praise of our awesome God. Let's draw that out a little bit. God abounded in steadfast love to Moses and the Israelites when he saved them from Egypt, when he cared for them every single day in the desert. God abounded in steadfast love when he went out to war with David and his mighty men, when he defeated the armies of the Philistines, when he established David's kingdom. And ultimately, God abounded in steadfast love by bringing us into covenant relationship with him, a relationship in which we can know God and praise him, a relationship in which we can have life and have it abundantly. That's God's steadfast love. Well, then in verse 11 to 13, David praises God for his rule, for his rule as a king and for his kingdom. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom, verse 11. In verse 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. You see, as David was writing this psalm, he was the king, but ultimately he knew that God was ruling, God was directing all things, just as we heard this morning And it's still true today. Jesus Christ rules in heaven at his Father's right hand. And then in the rest of the psalm, David praises God for the provision which is given under his rule. Verse 14, the Lord upholds all who fall. Isn't that a beautiful line, brothers and sisters? The Lord upholds those who fall. Think of this was a scene in the ministry of Christ in many beautiful ways when he was on earth. Think of the time when he healed the woman who had the the flow of blood for 12 years, when this woman touched him. Perhaps you remember that this this woman was trembling. She, She fell down before him, and Jesus said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. I find this story so moving. That God is so powerful. His power is beyond anything we could imagine. Remember, we saw it's a holy power. And yet he chooses to use this power in a way that that takes care of people like us, people like this woman. He upholds all who fall. He raises all who are bowed down. Well, he provides for the weak. He also provides for all creation. Verse 15 talks about the eyes of all looking expectantly to God and him giving their food in due season. And verse 16 also mentions him satisfying the desire of every living thing. I wonder, brothers and sisters, if you've ever meditated on creation. Specifically this question, what does creation reveal about God, about the character of God, about his attributes? See, the Catechism says, we praise God for all his works in which shine forth his wisdom, power, wisdom, goodness, mercy, righteousness, and truth, 
We praise God for his works in which we see his attributes. That includes creation. So do you meditate on creation and see God's almighty power, his wisdom, his goodness, his righteousness, mercy, and truth? One example of something that creation shows to us about God is his faithfulness. Verse 15 and 16, the eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season. Just think of the birds. Every season, God provides for them. He is faithful. He opens his hand. He satisfies the desire of every living thing. Or think of the sun. Every morning it rises, the moon, every night. God is faithful to his creation. This is something that creation shows us about who God is. So we see that under God's rule, he provides for the weak, he provides for all creation, and further, he provides for his own people in verse 18 to 20. It's a psalm of comprehensive praise, isn't it? Praise of God from A to Z for all that he is. And dear brothers and sisters, we can see this revealed most clearly and most fully in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The praise of God found in this psalm takes on a fuller meaning now that we have the fullness of God's revelation in Christ. You see, it's in Christ that the fullness of God dwells, Colossians 1.19. So when we talk about God's steadfast love, we talk about his love in sending Christ into the world. When we talk about God's rule, we talk about his rule exercised through Christ, to whom he has given all authority in heaven and on earth. When we talk about God's provision, we also talk about the daily sustenance Christ gives to us through his Holy Spirit. So the psalm takes on an even deeper meaning when we see our Lord Jesus Christ, when we see his majesty, his dignity, and his absolute worthiness. Dear people of God, this this is your God. Isn't he so great? Isn't he so wonderful that he deserves the praise of all generations of people? Isn't he so glorious that all creation joins in to sing his praises? Isn't he so exalted that we also want to honor his name, that we want to make his name holy? Isn't he so good and gracious that we want to join David in verse 21 and say, my mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. And so we pray this first petition. Father, take away the fog so that we can see your greatness, so that we can see how holy and awesome your name is. Help us to know you rightly, and knowing you, help us to respond rightly, that is, to sanctify, glorify, and praise you in all your works, in which shine forth your almighty power, wisdom, goodness, righteousness, mercy, and truth. That's the first part, take away the fog which obscures our vision. We also want to see in the second part of this message that we pray to God to take away the fog which obscures other people's vision. Because sometimes we ourselves can become like fog, obscuring other people's vision of God. Or how is this possible? In Deuteronomy 4, Moses told the people that the Lord had given them commands, he'd given them his law, instruction for how they should live, and then Moses says this, he says, therefore be careful to observe all these laws, 
for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all the peoples who will hear these statutes. The peoples around, they will hear these statutes, and then they will say, surely this nation is a great and understanding people. You see, when Israel followed God's instruction, they were living as a holy people. Just as God was holy, they were to be holy. And then this holiness would be seen, it would be reflected through the Israelites to all the nations living around them. They would reflect God to those nations. So when the Israelites served God with all their hearts, when they honored Him with their money, with their time, in the way they loved their husbands or wives or their children, then they were giving the nations a picture of what God Himself looked like. They bore His name. Well, fast forward in Israel's history, and we know they didn't live like this. Instead of representing God's holiness to the nations, they became like them. To put it in contemporary language, the Israelites became just like their unchristian neighbors outside the church. They did all the same things on the weekends. They didn't represent God's holiness. And this was part of the reason God sent them into exile. They obscured other people's vision of God. Well, brothers and sisters, in what ways do we obscure the holiness of God to other people? In what ways are we the fog which prevents other people from seeing the holiness of God? People know that we're Christian. Our co-workers and Christian friends, non-Christian friends, they know that we're Christian. People here in the Owen Sound community, they know that we go to this church. They know us, the Canadian Reformed Church, and how we act, it reflects on God. We read this afternoon from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. Jesus instructs us to let our light shine before the others. And note the reason so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see, when we live a life in dependence on God, when we seek to honor Him in our families, in our work, our time management, our relationships, then the world watches, and they say, these people, there's something special about them. When they see us at work, humbly doing those menial tasks that no one really wants to do, or serving others in a self-sacrificial way, And we give them a picture of Jesus who served us and sacrificed himself for us. The world watches and and then they must conclude that these people serve a God that's special. They serve a God that's holy. And then God is glorified. Then God's name is hallowed. Well, brothers and sisters, it's a high calling, isn't it? That in everything we do, we reflect the holiness of God. Who can live like this? But the Lord knew that we struggle. And that's why he teaches us to pray this petition, to ask God to help, to make this request to God, let your name be made holy. And that's why we need to keep asking God for help, for the Spirit of God to transform us to be living lights so that our conduct among the peoples, among the nations, is honorable and God is praised through us. And as we pray this prayer, we can also look to our Savior, Jesus Christ, Christ is not only the object of our praises, but he also lived a life in which he perfectly hallowed God's name. He lived a life of perfect obedience, which is also given to us who believe in him. Jesus never obscured the glory of God by an unholy lifestyle, but the light of God always shone through his words and actions. Listen to these words that he prayed in John 17, I have glorified you on earth. 
having accomplished the work you gave me to do. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Jesus always bore God's name perfectly. Every word he said, every facial expression, every action, he always hallowed God's name. And brothers and sisters, his righteousness, the perfect life that he lived is credited to you and me, to, to us who believe in Jesus Christ. What a great Savior we have. What can our response be but to, honor, to want to follow him, to want to lift his name high, to want everyone to acknowledge and to recognize his name? We've seen this afternoon, again, the holiness of our God. Just as mountains are always majestic and, and we want the fog to, to lift so that we can admire that majesty, so our God is always holy in all of his being and so we also want the fog to lift. We want the fog to lift, first of all, that we can see God and respond in adoration. And we want to then live our whole lives so that we reflect God's holiness to all around us, so that many more can see our great God. Father, take away the fog. Let your holy name be evident to us and to everyone around us. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen.